Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. The Biden administration wants airlines to compensate passengers with money, food and hotel rooms when flights get cancelled or seriously delayed. But airlines are pushing back. Over the weekend, a man drove an SUV into a crowd of people in Texas. After the collision, witnesses tried to catch the driver as he ran away. We have new information on the gunman who killed eight in a Dallas mall on Sunday. And I speak with an expert who says the solution to shootings in the U.S. has to be multifaceted. Taiwan could be buying more weapons from the U.S. Taiwan's defense ministry says it's in talks over a $500 million package. And a parade in San Francisco. Falun Dafa practitioners are celebrating the 31st anniversary of their practice. Find out what they have to say. Ahead of a summer travel season, the Biden administration is pushing for airlines to cover passenger expenses for canceled flights. But U.S. carriers say they're already trying their best. Joining us now live is White House correspondent Iris Tao. Iris, tell us more about it. Good evening, Steph. You're absolutely right. As we're going into a busy summer, summer travel season and as the Memorial Day weekend is coming up, the Biden administration is saying that they want to make sure that U.S. passengers, air travelers especially, get a better deal and that they can hold commercial airlines accountable. And specifically, President Biden today announced that his administration will be rolling out a new rule, a new proposal, saying that all the U.S. airlines will now have to compensate passengers with not only just refunds, but also hotels, meals, as well as cash miles if the cancellation or a significant delay of the flight is on the airline's fault. And that proposal, we expect it to be encountering some pushback from the airline industry. But President Biden today saying that it makes sense because of the following reasons. Let's watch. You deserve to be fully compensated. Your time matters. The impact on your life matters. I know these things may not matter to the very wealthy, but they matter most to middle-class families and people struggling to get the cost of, in the first place to get in that airline. And what he announced today is basically in line with what President Biden has been saying all the time about his overall approach to the economy, and that is to hold big corporations accountable and to grow the economy from the bottom up and middle out. And he also adds that it's important because he wants to lower costs for everyday Americans. But as we said before, airline industry is not going to be happy about this because apparently they're going to be paying more for passenger and compensation. So and a group that represents the biggest U.S. domestic carriers put out a statement on Monday, on Monday saying that basically they're already trying their best to make sure that all the flights are on time, either departure or arrivals, and that any cancellation or delay is not what they wanted either. And we also see that today basically what Biden put out is also very important. But the White House is defending Biden's decision to talk about this instead of other what some people consider important issues. Let's watch it back and forth in the White House press briefing room. 
You know, is the president really focused on today's biggest issues when everyone in here is asking about Title 42, the debt ceiling, mass shooting over the weekend, and we didn't hear the president talk about any of those Regular things? Regular American families, everyday families, are thinking about Memorial Day weekend. They care about what the president said today. And on Tuesday, President Biden will be talking with the Mexican president about immigration and, of course, the fentanyl crisis. And that comes right before Title 42 is about to expire this Thursday. Steph. Thanks, Iris. Plenty of changes up ahead, as, we, as, we, as you just mentioned. Now, next, a tragic incident happened over the weekend in Brownsville, Texas. A man drove an SUV into a crowd of people. Eight people were killed and 10 were injured. NTD's Jason Perry has that story. This video shows the moment before the driver of an SUV drove into a crowd of people on Sunday in the border city of Brownsville, Texas. Eight people were killed and 10 were injured. The victims were gathered at a bus stop near a homeless shelter that assists illegal immigrants. And after the collision, the driver of the SUV tried to flee the scene, but witnesses in the area held him down until police arrived. One of the witnesses said this. We hope the hospitalized migrants will recover because they have families far away who count on them. We crossed mountains, marched and got through the migration. It was a long way to come here and we fought hard. A lieutenant in the Brownsville Police Department who responded to the scene said this. So the driver has been detained. He's at the hospital receiving uh, medical uh, medical attention. Right now we're treating it as an accident, but we're definitely not trying to say it wasn't intentional. That is what our detectives are trying to, to figure out right now. And on Monday, the Brownsville Chief of Police, Felix Sauceda, gave an update as seen on 3 News Now. Through the investigation, it was found that the SUV ran a red light lost control, flipped on its side, and struck a total of 18 individuals. George Alvarez is a Brownsville local with an extensive rap sheet. He has been formally charged and arraigned with eight counts of manslaughter, 10 counts of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. Authorities displayed Alvarez's picture and his bond was set at $3.6 million. Sauceda also said they are waiting for the toxicology reports to determine whether Alvarez was intoxicated. Texas State Senator Morgan Lamantia also commented on the situation. Their lives were taken, their families' hopes were taken, and this is something with Title 42 ending, with the influx of more migrants coming across, more individuals coming to our state, we need to make sure we protect them at every step of the way. Over the last several weeks, the border city of Brownsville has seen an increase of border crossings. This caused the city to declare an emergency. But things are expected to get even worse after the pandemic-era border restrictions known as Title 42 ends on Thursday. Jason Perry, NTD News. And as Title 42 comes to a close, Texas and Arizona are bracing for a surge in border crossings. The two states are now pitching different solutions. NTD Sam Wong has the latest. Today we are announcing even more to respond to Joe Biden's reckless open border policies. Today we are deploying a new National Guard unit. It's called the Texas Tactical Border Force. On Monday, Texas Governor Greg Abbott said the new Texas Tactical Border Force is aiming to deter the influx of illegal immigrants after Title 42 ends. Title 42 was first established as a COVID-19 public health measure back in 2021. 
It allows U.S. authorities to turn people away at the southern border. The measure is set to come to an end on Thursday, and an unprecedented spike in border crossings is expected. The Lone Star State's plans to deploy specially trained National Guardsmen and troopers to turn back illegal immigrants, with a focus on border crossing hotspots. In addition, the governor is also working on laws that will make illegal border crossing a felony. That felony will entitle us to be able to do one of two things, either to arrest these people and jail them for a felony, or alternatively, to return them back to Mexico. The law also proposes a minimum 10-year jail time for anyone who's caught smuggling illegal immigrants in Texas. Meanwhile, in Yuma, Arizona, Governor Katie Hobbs laid out a five-point plan focusing on public safety and humanitarian support. The plan involves partnering with local agencies and nonprofit organizations to transport illegal immigrants and offer emergency shelters. Hobbs said that she will not politicize the border for headlines. She also demanded robust action from the federal government in an effort to obtain the resources they need to manage the upcoming influx. Sam Wong, NTD News, New York. And back to Texas. New details are emerging about the gunman at a Dallas shopping mall on Saturday. He was reportedly terminated from the Army in 2008 over mental health issues. An Army official told the Associated Press that Mauricio Garcia was let go after three months without completing his initial training. The 33-year-old killed eight people over the weekend and also wounded several more before police ultimately killed him. Federal officials are in the early stages of investigating his motive, specifically whether it was racially motivated. They're reviewing social media posts believed to be written by Garcia. The posts discuss his Hispanic heritage while disparaging racial minorities and referring to Nazis. And earlier today, I spoke with retired FBI agent with the elite hostage rescue team, Greg Schaefer, for his perspective on the shooting and how we might end these horrific events in the future. Schaefer tells me it's got to be a multifaceted approach. Greg Schaefer, welcome to our show. Thanks for coming on again. Now, Thanks for having me. The latest shooting in Texas, horrific, tragic. Biden's calling for stricter gun control. Another uh, Democrat, Congressman Henry Cuellar, however, is saying that that may not get to the heart of it. He points to gun violence in um, cities and states with strict gun control already. What's your take on it? Well, I agree with the Congressman. Uh, I don't think we have a gun violence problem. In fact, a gun is an inanimate object. It cannot create violence in and of itself. It takes an evil person behind that gun to create the violence. And gun control, you know, we have strict gun control measures in many blue states and many democratically controlled cities that have, you know, a gun violent murder problem. So gun control is not the answer. This is a multifaceted problem that's going to take a multifaceted approach. You know, we look at history wise, the number of guns in America households and the percentage of Americans that own firearms has not changed that much in the last 50 years. What has changed? Society. It's not a gun problem. It is a societal problem. We have a mental health crisis in America, not a gun violence crisis. And with your experience in the FBI, what could change in terms of screening or intercepting? What specifics? Well, the perfect example is the, the most recent shooting that we had. This individual was discharged from the Army because of mental illness. He should have never been allowed to be a licensed security guard in the state of Texas and certainly should never been allowed to purchase a firearm. And you mentioned that the uh, amount of 
guns in America has not significantly changed in the past 50 years, that society has changed. In what way do you see that being fixed or addressed, or what is the actual issue here? Well, Stefania, let's step back real quick and tell you a quick story. When I was growing up here in Texas, you know, my friends and I used to go deer hunting both before and after school. I carried my 30 6 bolt-action rifle in the back of my car, and my friends carried their rifles in the back of the pickup trucks. We carried firearms and put them on school property all during the fall, during deer season, and we didn't have school shootings back then. Again, what has changed? Again, the number of guns hasn't changed, but we have changed as a society. We don't have moms staying home to teach their kids between right and wrong. We have violent video games and violent movies that we didn't have back then. We have ADHD medication and antidepressants being prescribed that have side effects that have suicidal ideation as one of their primary side effects. We don't go to church anymore, again, teaching our kids between right and wrong. There's a host of things society-wise that has changed in the last 50 years, but gun possession and gun ownership is not one of them. And so on the legal front, what needs to happen next, do you think? I, again, I think we need to get better at tracking and identifying those that are mentally ill and treat them accordingly. These people need help. They need institutionalized uh, facilities. They need better medications. But we need to, get, need to get better at identifying those that have been discharged from the army and should have no mechanism at all to be able to get a weapon. We saw the same thing, you know, with the Air Force in the horrific shooting we had down in Southern Springs, Texas, in a small church. Yeah, and the Air Force is paid dearly for that because they didn't do the right thing and report his domestic violence arrest, and he was allowed to buy a, a weapon when had that arrest been reported, he would not have been allowed to, to buy a weapon. So we need to get better at reporting and maintaining those databases and then communicating that out to those people who sell guns. All right. Thank you so much, Greg Schaefer. Really appreciate your time. Thank you, Stephanie. A government employee labor union is suing Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen and President Biden. The suit is related to the nation's $31.4 trillion debt limit, which has already been hit, forcing Treasury to use special tools to avoid a default. But these tools won't last forever, and some in the government are growing anxious about what comes next. NTD's Melina Weiskopf has more. Melina, why is this government employee union filing this lawsuit? Now, as you just mentioned, the Treasury's ability to use those so-called extraordinary measures to continue to meet its obligations won't last forever. Congress is fast approaching a June 1st deadline to raise the nation's $31.4 trillion debt cap, otherwise risk defaulting on our nation's debt. Now, what does that mean? It essentially means that the federal government will not be able to pay for things like Social Security, Medicare reimbursements, payroll for service members, or payroll for federal workers. And this is essentially why that union, the National Association of Government Employees, is filing this lawsuit because they say that it's a violation of a separation of powers for the executive branch to decide which obligations to pay for and which to skip. This lawsuit aims to stop President Biden and Yellen from enforcing the debt ceiling, essentially seeking to abolish it altogether. That's similar to an argument we've heard from Democrats over the past couple of weeks on Capitol Hill. The Democrats raised it three times under President Trump. We should have gotten rid of it at that point. No other country in the world has this kind of 
tool. The only responsible path here is to get rid of the debt ceiling. It's a sham. It, it was designed many, many years ago to control the debt of the United States. It has failed spectacularly. But Republicans say the debt ceiling has a purpose. That is to force Congress members to reevaluate the nation's spending habits. Because anyone who would say there's no way we can cut anything in government and can't even discuss it, no negotiations because everything's perfect in the federal government, really? So that group you just saw is part of a group of 43 Republican senators who say they will not vote for any clean debt ceiling increase. That is a debt ceiling hike without any budget mechanisms attached. Now, 43, that's the majority of the Republican conference in the Senate, and that includes Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. So all of this comes into play when President Biden sits down with those four top congressional leaders at the White House tomorrow to continue these debt ceiling talks. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. Next, regulating dishwashers to save the climate. After taking aim at gas stoves, the Biden administration is now turning to dishwashers. The Department of Energy last week proposed congressionally mandated standards for new dishwashers. The standards aim to lower costs while reducing the amount of energy and water that's used. The proposal applies to standard size and compact dishwashers during their regular cycles. Water and energy usage would be cut by around 30 percent. The agency estimated that the new rules would save consumers nearly $3 billion in utility bills over 30 years. If the new rules are adopted, they would go into effect in 2027. And coming up, Taiwan could be buying more weapons from the U.S. Taiwan's defense ministry says it's in talks over a $500 million package. In Northern California, practitioners of a meditation discipline celebrated the anniversary of its founding. They started with exercises in San Francisco and paraded through the city. our attention to the Indo-Pacific. Taiwan says they're in talks with the U.S. over a $500 million military aid package. Taiwan's defense minister said on Monday that Taiwan is in talks with the Biden administration about a fast-tracked $500 million weapons package from the U.S. The talks began this January. The defense minister told Taiwanese lawmakers the focus of the deal is sending weapons to Taiwan from the U.S.'s existing stockpiles. This is to make up for previous delays. The military package is not counted into previous arms sales, and Taiwan would be asking for weapons it deems as its priorities. In the 2023 budget, Congress authorized up to $1 billion worth of weapons aid for Taiwan. Biden can use presidential drawdown authority to transfer arms and services from U.S. stockpiles without congressional approval each time. Since the war in Ukraine, Taiwan has been complaining of delays in the delivery of weapons purchased from the U.S., but that could be changing soon. Taiwan's defense ministry said last week the U.S. will be delivering the high-mobility artillery rocket systems ahead of schedule in 2026. And today, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signed legislation banning Chinese citizens from purchasing land in Florida. The only exception is for people who are also U.S. citizens or permanent residents. 
You also see around the country things like the CCP or a front group company or something, they'll buy like all this land, farmland and all this other stuff. And you're thinking, how is that in our national interest to be selling all this land? And you know, they pay a lot. The new legislation is part of an ongoing effort to prevent further Chinese Communist Party influence in the state of Florida. The bill also adds extra protection for land within 10 miles of military bases and other infrastructure, such as airports, banning citizens of Russia, Iran, Syria, North Korea, Cuba, and Venezuela from purchasing it. Several Chinese Americans spoke against the bill last month, fearing it could prevent them from buying homes. But others say it's important to counter the CCP. And over in San Francisco on Saturday, hundreds of Falun Dafa practitioners around the Bay Area celebrated the 31st anniversary of their practice. NTD's Jason Blair brings us more. It's been 31 years since the practice of Falun Dafa was first introduced to the public. Practitioners in Northern California are celebrating with a marching band, banners, and a parade through San Francisco. Falun Dafa or Falun Gong was first introduced to the public on May 13, 1992 in China. It consists of meditation, gentle exercises, and a book that teaches people how to be a good person. It is a mind and body practice, so these two things together, studying the principles of truthfulness, compassion, and forbearance that Master Li has given us, and then doing the exercises combine our practice. Like many other practitioners, Campbell received numerous health benefits after practicing Falun Dafa. I always thought I was a happy person, but I'm happier. <laughs> and I, I, just, um, I just feel more comfortable inside myself because we've been given a way to look inside when problems come up and to, um, you know, find out how to resolve them. Besides celebrating the anniversary, they were also raising awareness about the persecution that's still happening in China. You know, it's a very sad thing. People have been, have been persecuted to death. Uh, they've been arrested for meditating in China. So we're hopeful that the persecution will come to an end. And uh, we just want to let everybody know about that. And so they can make a good choice for their future. Pedestrians passing by stopped to listen and learn more. One person could relate because he was persecuted in a different way for doing what he likes. I love writing, like writing articles about the history and the politics. And sometimes the CCP they send police to like uh, t send police, and those police they tell my family like like and my family they tell me like don't say some like bad words about CCP. I think it's important for us to understand one another with empathy and compassion and love. I think like understanding that and learning about how Chinese culture operates before just going in and try to wreck everything like hundreds of years of how things have worked isn't going to work. After going through San Francisco's financial district, the parade ended in Chinatown at Portsmouth Square. Jason Blair, NTD News, San Francisco. Now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with an unusual altercation in the NBA. 
Thank you, Steph. Denver's Nikola Jokic scored a team playoff record 53 points last night and lost to Phoenix. There was an altercation with a fan in the front row that everyone's still talking about. The incident happened shortly before halftime when the ball went out of bounds and Jokic went to quickly retrieve it, possibly looking to inbounds it before Suns guard Josh Okogie who went flying into the stands after it, could get back onto the court. The ball, though, went into the hands of none other than Suns billionaire owner Matt Ishbia, who initially refused to give it back to Jokic. After the two briefly wrestled for it, Jokic appeared to elbow him, to which Ishbia fell back into his seat. Jokic was given a technical foul on the play and said afterward that the fan, Ishbia, put his hand on him first, saying, quote, I thought the league was supposed to protect us. Ishbia, who played basketball for Tom Izzo at Michigan State, meanwhile seemed over it, tweeting this morning, suspending or fining anyone over last night's incident would not be right. The league has not announced any additional punishment for Jokic. Game 5 is scheduled for Tuesday night. And for your sports viewing schedule tonight, more playoff action. First in the NBA, the Heat and Knicks resume their rivalry in Miami as the home team's up 2-1 after winning Game 3 Saturday. And in L.A., the hottest ticket in town with an average price north of $700 is to watch the star-studded Lakers and Warriors suit up tonight. L.A. is up 2-1 after an emphatic win in Game 3. And in the NHL, the Oilers and Golden Knights square off in Game 3 in a series tied at 1. Edmonton currently boasts the two highest postseason scorers in Leon Draisaitl and Connor McDavid with 17 and 15 points, respectively. And finally, for you baseball fans, busy night, 11 games on, including a matchup with the two best records in the American League, as first place Tampa Bay is at Baltimore. And that is it for your sports news today. Steph, back to Thanks, Dave. And breaking news from the NBA, the league has announced that Nuggets center Nikola Jokic will not be suspended for the altercation in last night's game. He will, however, be fined $25,000. Game 5 will be Tuesday night in Denver. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.